Hi, my name is Bo. Good morning. I'm one of the elders that's bringing you this morning the word of God. The man for thirsty people from John chapter 7 we just read. Last week, David told us about this uh, feast of the booths or festival of the booths. So the people were staying in the, in the tent and it's supposed to be a time of rejoicing and celebration. So we'll come to the concluding part of this uh, uh, festival and we see what's happening. Let's, let's pray first before we go on. Almighty God, we admit that we will not be thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ if you do not draw us to him. And we ask that this morning you might do so, have mercy on us, that we might understand such a great promise and privilege that we have in Christ. May you help us in understanding your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, for this uh, scripture today, we are coming to one of the uh, most stunning claims and promises in history. And Jesus was claiming to be the man for thirsty people. We shall consider the, the immediate context and then the wider context, the nature of the claim and the responses of people as we go on. So to, to start with, uh, I would like to uh, show you a, a video clipping of the festival of the booths during the uh, time for the water libation. That is the climax of each day. So every day, every morning, they will, the priest will go and draw water and then uh, bring it to the temple and, and pour to a, a cup. Uh, so so to appreciate what's happening, we, we can just watch this uh, for about five minutes, all right? So this is the first reenactment of this uh, libation, water libation in 2014, so after many years. So they are, they are drawing this water from, uh, from this Shiloh uh, spring. Um, while they, they while they are in the desert, thirst, thirst is a very real problem. They were quite afraid of dying of thirst, uh, and they were so angry with Moses that they wanted to kill him for bringing them to the desert. But the but God make a rock crack and water flow out from the, the rock, and that's how they sustain their life. And so during this. Uh, feast of the boots while they stay in the tents. So the water is a very great sim- symbol for, for God's provision. Sense their 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 jaw 
enjoy the atmosphere of joy and celebration. sure why this become night time I, I don't think it will go on for the whole <laughs> until the night but somehow it just became a night time and uh, so they're they're coming to the place where the altar was and that the square in the middle representing the the, 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 the altar and every day they would take the water and, and circulate the uh, the altar for one round on the seventh day they would circulate it for for seven rounds and when they walk around, they would recite Psalm 113 to 118. <laughs> So one of the uh, priests is holding water, the other one is a bottle of wine. You see the cup overflows.
helped us to appreciate the atmosphere of the festival, which is much bigger than this, of course, during the, the real time. And then we can imagine, after the pouring of the water and the wine, Jesus stood up on the platform and proclaimed, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's just like just now when Don stood up, uh, spoke the same uh, words, how did we feel? I mean, if somebody during our service stood up speaking, uh, proclaiming like that, how would we respond to such an interruption or a surprise? And so in today's reading, we see people uh, have different, had different responses. Some believe in him in some way. Some thought that he was mad, mad and ignore him. Some thought that he was bad and wanted to uh, arrest him. However, we were told that even the, the officers who were sent by the, the priests and Pharisees to arrest Jesus did not lay hand, lay hand on him. They said they did not arrest Jesus because they have never, ever heard someone spoke like him. So that gives us a, an, an impression in terms of when Jesus spoke such a, a promise, a claim, that his appearance was such a way that people who hear him, who really could hear him, would know that he was proclaiming the truth. He wasn't mad or bad. So let us consider the, uh, the context the, in terms of what this uh, water libation means. So to those people who are celebrating, it, the water uh, would mean that it's God's provision. So water is something that we can't produce is we all depend on God for for that and so there's a, a, a sign of uh, rejoicing and thanksgiving to God for such a, a gift of life to them why I suppose uh, for to them is to represent the thank, thankfulness as well to God because through water they can have uh, grape and through grapes they can have wine and so they want to uh, uh, offer that to God as, as, a, as a thanksgiving uh, in the context and possibly also asking God for more blessing for the year to come. So the first meaning is what men offer to God in thanksgiving and supplication. The second meaning is what God gives to men in mercy and grace. For those people who knew the Old Testament well, they might remember Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah is a book talk, talking about uh, the Feast of Booths the most in, in, in the Old Testament. In Zechariah 12.10, he says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the independence of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleads for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son or only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So those people who knew the Old Testament well, they, may, they will be waiting for the fulfillment of this uh, prophecy that one day God would do something great in their midst again. So though they did not understand how this is going to uh, be fulfilled, they were waiting for the day when God would change their heart and and so 
restoring God's kingdom in that way. So the, they were waiting for the spirit of grace and the spirit of pleas for mercy. So in, in here, the water can represent the spirit of grace, that's God's grace coming down uh, from heaven. And the wine could represent the, the spirit of pleas for mercy. So by God's grace, and by, we can look to the, the one we have pierced and ask for, for mercy. And so that the second meaning is what God gives to man. And then in our reading today, Jesus seemed to be applying the symbols to himself. He's saying that I am the first meaning and also the second meaning. I am the temple, the altar, and the rock from which they got the water. So he's both the offering to God and also God's gift to man. So that's why we read from in John chapter 19, John wrote in, uh, from verse 33 to 35, he said, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out water, blood and water. And uh, he who saw it has borne weakness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. So here John is testifying that Jesus was the one whom they had pierced, and from him flowed the water and the wine, libation, water and, and, and blood. So we know that from, from him flow the spirit of grace and the spirit of pleas for mercy. So from him, we have a double cure of our sins. First, uh, the guilt of sin has been cleansed by his blood. And this, the, the power of sin has been washed away by the water, make us pure so that we do not need to sin again. And, and that's what Jesus was telling people, come to me. But he, he, so the nature of the claim is that Jesus did not say to a, a group of people who were downcast or, or depressed, he was talking to a group of people who were rejoicing and who had plenty of water and wine to drink. So what would these people be thirsty for? So among those people who are dancing and singing, and what did Jesus mean when he said, if anyone thirsts? So in, in their context, when Jesus was proclaiming, I suppose there will be people who were thirst, thirsty for the coming of kingdom of God, or at least wanting this celebration to continue on forever, not just for eight days, uh, because this is the last day, they would need to go back to their routines again the next day, though there's such a thirst for it. And uh, what, so that is the thirst that wanting God's kingdom to come through and, and wanting our life to be uh, happy. There are other thirsts as well, so that we might be thirsty for a better relationship with our friends or spouse or family. We'd be thirsty for a better job. Uh, thirsty for a holiday, or people can be thirsty for pornography, alcohol, gambling. We can have all sorts of thirst. So we can 
roughly divide thirst into four categories. Sometimes we do thirst for something great, like world peace, or God's kingdom to be coming, God's righteousness be done. Sometimes we thirst for some for the sake of somebody else. We want someone else to improve in their life, become a better person, a holier person. Sometimes we thirst for ourselves that we can be pure, or holier. Um, but many a times we we thirst to have more comfort and happiness. And we want to uh, have an easier life. And these are all the uh, different categories of thirst. Does it matter what thirst we have? Can we just come to Jesus and have those thirst fulfilled? I think it really doesn't matter because the result is the same. Because Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus did not promise that your particular thirst will be satisfied in the way you, you, you hope for. So if you thirst for alcohol, you won't be given more alcohol. Or even if you thirst for a job, you may not be given a job. But he said that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Our thirst will always be too small, too little, too shallow. And Jesus wanted to give us much more than what we thirst for. And he wants to change our life by giving us the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, you will not care about your thirst anymore, or most of the thirst at least. You, you may care your, to be thirsty for a holier person, but it's not uh, the day-to-day sort of uh, thirst. So we won't care so much about our own thirst. But from our heart, we fill this uh, living water. That means we'll be, we, we will care more about what other people thirst for. Because we have this living water flowing up from us. Uh, we, we would want to, uh, to help others who are thirsty. But how do we come to Jesus? So first, we must admit that, as you said, we are thirsty if anyone thirsts. If you do not have any thirst, then we will not need to come to uh, Jesus. If we do have thirst, Jesus invites us to come to him and believe in him. And then how do we believe in him? And we need to be a bit careful here. Last week, from the first half of John 7, David told us that it's possible for us to believe Jesus in our own terms. I think we all do this to some extent as we first came to Jesus. However, as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus, I hope that we would learn to believe in Jesus in his terms, not our own terms, not our own ideas. So the Gospels, such as this Gospel of John and other Gospels, were written so that we can believe Jesus as he claims he, he should be, that is, he is the Christ, the Son of God. So when we read the Bible, we attend Bible study, we listen to sermons, hopefully then we really can come to know Jesus and believe in him as he claims himself to be. So what are the responses to this, to the claim? We, some of the believers thought that Jesus was a prophet. Some thought he was the Christ. These people, unlike us, did not have the, the New Testament for them to understand what Jesus said about himself. However, they did have Jesus there with them, so they could have asked Jesus when they were in doubt. I hope that you do not have just a vague idea about Jesus and think you know 
and think that you know who he is. I hope that you will take the trouble to study what Jesus says about himself. Some of the listeners did not believe in Jesus. They had a problem with Jesus' origin. They were, in a way, correct in asking that Jesus be the descendant of David and coming from David's city. The king and saviour they were waiting for was supposed to be a descendant of King David. And that was why when we read the book of Romans, Paul started it, started the book of Romans by saying that he was uh, proclaiming the gospel, and the gospel was concerning Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God according to the, the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. So Paul took pain to, to point out that Jesus was a descendant of King David. But those listeners back there, they were too sure about the judgment of Jesus. They did not bother to find out if Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They could have if they wanted to. The Pharisees, who knew the scriptures well, were even more biased in the judgment. They assumed those who believed in Jesus were the cursed one or cursed one, thinking that they were being deceived by Jesus. So while the officers they sent said, no one ever spoke like Jesus, the Pharisees said, no one who had any uh, learning would believe in Jesus. No sooner had they said that, who stood up to, to speak for Jesus? Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. He, he was a well-learned man. He was also one of the authorities. He challenged them and said that if they, were, they know their law so well, why didn't they follow the law in, in letting, giving Jesus a, a, fair, a fair hearing, a hearing to see what Jesus had to say about himself and understand what Jesus was saying instead of just judging Jesus without even giving Jesus a, a trial. So they, they could not un- answer Nicodemus' question. What did they do? They belittled Nicodemus to make his uh, question insignificant. And that's what we can all do. We even make fun of the name of Jesus Christ so that to make his claim to be insignificant. And they said, they asked uh, Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? No winner ever comes from Galilee. They are ignorant and simple people. How can, pe- how can Jesus who grew up in Galilee be anyone significant? No prophet ever came from Galilee. So after all, the Pharisees did not know their scriptures as well as they thought they did. At least we know that Jonah came from Galilee. Elijah and Nahum may have come from Galilee as well. And also in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 2, it says, But there will be no gloom from her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Jebulun and the land of Naphtali. Jebulun and Naphtali, they are land in Galilee. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So 600 years ago, before Jesus was born, Isaiah said that there will be a light in Galilee. And 
yeah, the Pharisees somehow just ignore that because they had a theology of glory. The Pharisees had a theology of glory. They were impressed by titles, status, and achievements. They thought that the Christ would come as a powerful person. And they could not see how someone from the outback without any education and status could be the Christ. And we can have the similar theology of glory as well. We both in being the best church or the church with the best something, and that is the theology of glory. But Jesus has uh, had the theology of, uh, of the cross. Jesus knew that the problem with man is that everyone wants to speak his own glory. Jesus did not seek his own glory. He lived for the glory of God and for the good of others. So Jesus, who knew no thirst, became one who had thirst, so that he could be the water and wine libation to satisfy our thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So how would you respond to this claim of Jesus? Most of us are proud of the fact that we are scientific-minded. And it would be most unscientific if we dismiss this claim without giving Jesus a fair, a fair hearing and, and read through what he say and think through what he say. And all of us have some thirst. Have you found any other way that would satisfy your thirst? I see many people... Uh, patients who are on painkillers for some sort of chronic pain. Some of them wanting more and more painkillers to deal with the same pain. These people usually focus their whole life on themselves and their comfort. And I see that patients who have more important things to live for other than themselves, they are not troubled so much by pain, for chronic pain. You see, the, the answer to our thirst is not more of something. It's more of moving from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Jesus knew that. That's why he promised the Holy Spirit for the change of our, our hearts. It's um, difficult, I know, for us to come to Jesus with all the things that we have experienced in, in life. Um, we will be thirsty for, for something else more than Jesus Christ because we don't know the satisfaction he could give to us. Uh, today I'm, pre- I'm pretty disappointed that my sister and the family who came to visit us didn't come to church with us because they wanted to sleep in. If I told them at 10 o'clock I would bring them to see kangaroos, I'm sure they would make their effort to get up and see kangaroos. <laughs> they, I mean, they, at home they do go to church, but kangaroos is more satisfying than being with God's people, worshiping God. I wanted to uh, bring them to see my fam- church family and to get to know people here and worship together. Yeah. And last night, also, we heard of the news that Rita's mother passed away. If you uh, know, four months ago, Rita, Rita is one of the students. The mom came to visit her from Hong Kong. 
So four months ago, she actually came to church, and uh, Rita told us that the mom couldn't swallow well and couldn't, couldn't speak very well suddenly. So we, we brought her to the hospital, and the scan showed that she got metastatic cancer in the brain. Um, and uh, so she needed to go back to Hong Kong straight away. So that evening, I took her and her daughter and we lay to the chemist to, to buy some medication that would control their symptoms. While Lei and Rita were in the shop, I, I sat with her in the car park. I had the urge to tell her that she had just three months to live. If she, she did nothing for the cancer, if she would go for treatment, she might have six months. I don't usually tell people how long they would live, and I, I, I don't think I would know. And even after telling her, I, I felt quite bad because God could have miracle as well. I mean, people can recover uh, from cancer. But why did I tell her? Because I want to show her that um, uh, she had not much time. She would, should let Rita go home and spend and cancel, I mean, just repeat the semester, just spend some time with her. But um, when she uh, went back to Hong Kong, she went to see a Chinese doctor, and the Chinese doctor said, oh, no problem, I could, I could cure you. And, and so she thought that she could be cured. She didn't even seek Western medicine help. So after a couple of months with the Chinese medicine, her condition got quite bad. Initially, it got better because she was on steroid. Definitely, she would feel better. And so she delayed her, her so delayed her help from the Western doctors. And so Rita just went back about two weeks ago and she was already quite sick. And yes, so she, I thought she missed her, the most precious time in life. It's so easy to believe in someone to say, oh, I could cure you. I just find it hard. People would believe these sort of uh, lies without finding the fact. But not coming to Jesus. Well, Jesus says, make a promise. And you can look through history and see whoever really came to Jesus was thirsty again. We, were, we, can, we can find out, not only from his word, from, from the last 2,000 years of history. So I hope that we will not waste our time on all the uh, insignificant things in life and the lost more lives that we can live when we have the Holy Spirit in Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for being our shepherd because we are in, in Christ, that we will lack nothing. You anoint our heads with oil, our cup overflows. Oh, Father, may you help us to be overflowing, that we may taste your goodness. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.